0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of SwitchCast, a podcast delving into the world of film brought to you by the team at Switch. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Charlie David page
1: I'm Jess Fenton.
0: I'm Daniel Lamon And I'm Jake Watt. It's Thursday, the 30th of November, 2017. On this week's show, have you ever been to a movie where it just dragged on forever? With many Hollywood blockbusters now pushing the three-hour mark, we ask, does a tight film make a good film?
1: Plus, we unleash our secret shames. Inspired by the release of The Disaster Artist, we reveal bad movies we love.
2: And as always, all our reviews and giveaways.
0: Well, let's get straight into it with our review of The Disaster Artist. Jess went behind the scenes to check out this story of the making of The Room, so is it the best film about the world's best worst movie?
1: Yes, known among its many fans and curious onlookers as the Citizen Kane of bad movies, it boasts appalling dialogue, a nonsensical plot and script, atrocious acting and the most ridiculous green screen work imaginable, along with several borderline pornographic sex scenes. At the centre of it all is the film's enigmatic star, writer, director, producer and executive producer, Tommy Wiseau. Greater Than Itself is the tale of how The Room came to be. Based on the 2013 book The Disaster Artist, the film of the same name follows the novel's author Greg Sestero, played by Dave Franco, as he becomes friends with Tommy, played to an uncanny degree by James Franco where the pair move to Los Angeles to follow their dreams of becoming movie stars. But when Hollywood rejects them both, Tommy sets about making his own movie to show them all. Paranoia, anger issues, and above all else, a complete and utter lack of knowledge about filmmaking turns what should have been a quick, small, and humble independent film shoot into one of the most disastrous and epic calamities ever. To be or not to be? It's not going to happen for you.
2: Not in a million
1: years. But after that... This town, Greg. They don't want me. wish we could just make our own movie. That great idea. So there's this guy, Johnny, a true American hero to be played by me. He has it all. Good luck, many friends, and also maybe Johnny is vampire. We'll see. This set of the alleyway looks exactly like the real alleyway. That's right. Well, why don't we just shoot in the real alleyway? Because it's a real Hollywood movie. No, yeah, sounds good. Okay, action! I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. James Franco acts as its star and director and filled his film with a gaggle of who's who cameos, his friends and family. It's funny, heartwarming and surprisingly sympathetic towards its protagonist. I just felt after having devoured this incredible book that this film focused too much on the what instead of the who and the why. This story is filled with some of the most fascinating and incomprehensible actions and people imaginable and too much of it was lost when, ironically, given the Hollywood treatment. As a standalone film, it's great and I'm giving it three and a half stars, but I would love to give it more. I just really want to encourage people to read the book if you truly want to know this incredible story.
3: Um, I actually saw this movie as well uh, with Jess. And um,
1: Yes, you were sitting right next to me.
3: <laughs> I was. That's crazy. And um, I looked over and you were there. Um, and uh, I, I hate James Franco. I'm not a James Franco fan at all. I don't really like him as an actor. Um, as a director, his movies are really shit. Um, as I Lay Dying, Child of God. Um, he's, he's made quite a few. This movie, The Disaster Artist, really good. Like I was, just, I was like pleasantly surprised by how well he did with this. It was like really funny. Um, it was interesting. Um, he was really good in it as well. He played like a like a fond interpretation of um, of Tommy. Wiseau. like it wasn't really cruel. It was just this really sympathetic interpretation for me. Like the only thing is when Greg Sestero introduced the film, he was talking about when he wanted to get the book published. And he said to his publisher, "Here's my book. I want it to be like Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. That's that's this is what I'm aiming for." So I think his vision for the story was kind of dark, and um, I thought this movie had the potential to be pretty dark. But James Franco went in a different direction and made it funny and and light yeah. and um, occasionally to a, like annoying degree. Like you know, the, the ending was a bit yeah. sort of pat and schmaltzy, and here and there they kind of you know buffed down the sort of the darkness, um, which I think was. Is probably more – I haven't um, finished reading the book, but there is a lot more thought-provoking stuff happening in there.
1: Yeah. Actually, Tommy Wiseau has an incredible dark side.
3: Yeah. You know, we were talking about this after the movie finished and maybe like a director like David Cronenberg or someone with, you know, darker tendencies could have made the disaster artist into like quite a disturbing kind of psychological horror thing. You know, they they mentioned the talented Mr. Ripley because Tommy Wiseau was just like he loves – what is he called? Matt Damon? Mark? Mark Damon or something? Yeah. So he's like, you know, he's kind of into the Teller Mr. Ripley and the movie itself and the story is kind of like Tommy really does kind of take over Greg's or tries to control Greg to a degree. So, um, Mm. you know, they they could have made something more of that, I think, if they wanted to, but they didn't. And there's plenty of comedy material to be mined there anyway. And that's kind of what they went for. And it was still good. Yeah, interesting movie.
1: It's still, it's very enjoyable and it's very light and funny and I also have to point out that um, at the end of the film they do these side by side shots of the actual film The Room oh, yeah. and the disaster like James Franco's recreation of it they are absolutely and actually incredible down to like intonation and pauses the mm. set the costume everything is done absolutely pitch perfect and it is and it's actually one of the best parts of the whole movie is watching these like Hollywood actors recreate the worst movie ever made and it's worth it alone. load oh I should also point out out there is a post-credit scene. For any room fans, uh, you don't want to miss it because it has uh, a big surprise in it for you. If you want to see real Hollywood movie, lucky Melbourne fans can catch the disaster artist at Cinema Nova, Sydney siders at the Hayden Orpheum Picture Palace, and Perth Citizens at the Luna Leaderville from today, while the rest of the country has to wait until next week. So that's guys, and you can read my full review at makeswitch.com.au.
0: Also out today is Only the Brave, the true story of the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Eric Marsh, played by Josh Brolin, runs a small yet dedicated firefighting crew in Prescott, Arizona. They work hard and they rise through adversity to become the first ever municipal hotshot crew and earn the respect of the nation over the six years they've worked together. Yet being away from their families is tough. And with the unpredictable nature of wildfires, danger is always just around the corner.
3: You guys have some slots available. You lost. Her.
0: <laughs>
3: we got one slot open. You know what we're training
0: for. Hotshots get to engage the fire directly. The SEAL Team Six of firefighters.
1: If you give me a chance, I won't let you down. Sooner or later, the fire's gonna come knocking in our hometown. We've been training for over four years. We got all our hours, all our qualifications. But until we're certified hotshots, my crew won't even be able to set foot on the line. I told you it wouldn't be easy.
0: You want to talk about it? Anyone do your John Wayne
3: thing? It's not easy sharing your
0: man with a fire. the fire gets past our line, it goes to our town.
2: Burn over seconds away, it's going to feel like the end of the world. As long as you can breathe, you can survive.
0: Tragedy strikes the hotshots in what would become the greatest loss of firefighters since 9-11. Only the brave handles their story with great respect, focusing not on the bravado of the group, but their unwavering affinity and inseparable bond. This is easily one of the best roles Josh Brolin has played lately, if not as a leading role in his entire career. He's the common element that keeps these men together, played with tough fairness and a great respect. Miles Teller is also brilliant as Brendan Donut McDonough, one of the new recruits, a former drug addict and felon, just looking for a chance to change his life for his newborn daughter. It's also great to see Jennifer Connelly back on the big screen as Eric's wife Amanda, in a pivotal role she embraces with great gusto and strength. Don't go into Only the Brave expecting another disaster film or a dry biopic. This is a cleverly nuanced, fascinating tale of community, perseverance and sacrifice. Despite its inevitable conclusion, you will follow the story every step of the way, and you'll be crushed when the final scenes end up playing out. I'm giving it 4 stars.
2: It's great to hear that this actually turned out to be quite a good film. I remember seeing the trailer when I went to see Blade Runner 2049 at IMAX. When the trailer started my instant reaction was to get Ugh, at it because it just looked like the kind of Us. expectable yes, film. Same. But as the trailer played out I found myself becoming quite emotionally invested in it and by the end I remember thinking no I really do want to see this film. And then when the credits at the end of the trailer came up and I saw that it was directed by Joseph Kaczynski then it kind of sold it for me. Um, Joseph Kaczynski has Only made two other major films, um, them being Mm -hmm. Tron
0: Legacy and Oblivion. So this is obviously a bit of a change of pace for him. Oh, stylistically so different. It's, um, It's a very restrained film for him, I think, but the film is all the better for it, for sure. But
2: the best thing about both of those previous films was that they were visually absolutely spectacular. And so combining this kind of material, this kind of true story, moving material with his visual sense his um, storytelling sense it's really exciting so i can't i was really disappointed i couldn't make it to the media screening of this because i really really want to see it i'm glad to hear that it turns out that it's really good
0: yeah well i think it's a really good cast like they've put together such a great crew the cast itself isn't actually necessarily all hollywood greats it's got a really interesting mix of people who are actually on the cast like it has some former navy seals um it has some people who were original hotshots. So it's just a really different kind of cast from a standard Hollywood film. And Australian actor Alex Russell is in it. True story. Yeah. And, And that's all fantastic. But what's really beautiful about the film is the way that they interact with their family and the community. And they kind of all, they just have this great camaraderie and that's what the story is really about and i think the fact that it focused on that as opposed to them being you know these macho firefighters and saving communities and things like that the fact they're a part of the community is far more interesting a story
2: these are tricky films to pull off these kind of heroic dramas a lot of the time they just end up being quite saccharine and overblown Mm,
0: especially the american ones
2: yeah especially american ones and america's relationship to tragedy uh, which ends up just being quite heavy-handed so it's easy to understand why someone would dismiss only the brave, but all the evidence that I've seen in listening to review, it sounds like this might be one of those instances where it is actually a genuinely powerful drama. I'm, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll definitely go and see it as soon as it comes out. I'll be there on Thursday. I'll go see the disaster artist and this in like a double bill. It'll be a great <laughs> afternoon.
0: Yeah, look, it was a huge surprise to me as well, and I thoroughly recommend anyone go and see it, especially if you've had a bit of a stinker year with biopics. This is one of the better ones that I've seen. Uh, So, Only the Brave is in cinemas now, and check out my full review at maketheswitch.com.au. Also out today is The Man Who Invented Christmas. Daniel delved into this Dickensian biopic, but did it have you saying, bah humbug? It's 1843,
2: and Charles Dickens, played by Dan Stevens, has had a bad run. His last few books have flopped, and he has a bad case of writer's block. However, a sudden moment of inspiration hits him, and he decides to write a Christmas fable. The problem is, no one really cares about Christmas, and his publishers won't bite, so Dickens decides to self publish his Christmas tale. He only has six weeks till the big day, though, and it doesn't help that the characters, led by Ebenezer Screw, played by Christopher Plummer, refuse to behave themselves.
0: It's about a miser, and on Christmas Eve. He meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug a Miser's Lament. Christmas ghost story, Christmas song, Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right and the character will appear. Scratch. Stranger. Come on, Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money? Mr. Scrooge. How delightful to meet you, sir. Sorry, I can't say the same. You and I are going to do wonderful things together. We couldn't possibly get it printed and distributed in only six weeks. I have to get to the printers by nine o'clock. But you still don't have an ending. Merry Merry Christmas to
2: one and all. Merry Christmas! The fantasy elements of the man who invented Christmas are cute, but the film itself is a lacklustre affair, unsure of what kind of film it wants to be. The comedy is too silly, the drama is too heavy, the emotion is too saccharine, and the biographical details stink of fantastical reinvention. Dan Stevens holds it all together with his charming central performance, but everyone else flounders, and there are basically no significant female characters to speak of as far as the film is concerned. It's neither a new Christmas classic, an engaging biopic, or an effective comedy drama. Go watch The Muppet Christmas Carol instead. This is getting two stars from me.
1: How good's The Muppet Christmas Carol? I love that movie. Well, the
2: whole time watching it, because a lot of the film uses dialogue from A Christmas Carol, from Dickens' book. So a lot of the time, I just kept being reminded of how wonderfully whimsical and challenging a book A Christmas Carol is. And how wonderful The Muppet Christmas Carol is as an adaptation of it. Which just worked against this film endlessly. Because I just kept going, oh, I just want Gonzo to tell me this. Like, where's Wizzo the rat?
1: It's just so funny that there have been so many interpretations of A Christmas Carol. Um, up It's Christmas Carol, being absolutely and actually being up there is one of the best. Um, A personal favourite of mine is also Bill Murray's Scrooged, which takes a very dark and very comedic look at the whole thing. The fact that the origin of this story just gets such a thumbs down.
2: (laughs) The thing is, I don't know how much of The Man Who Invented Christmas is true. I know it's based on a book, but I haven't been able to find anything else about it. For one thing, he didn't invent Christmas. The reason Dick wrote A Christmas Carol is because Christmas was back in fashion. The kind of moment that typified for me how fucking awful it was was there's a moment where Dickens is handed the very first printed copy of A Christmas Carol, which somehow they've been able to print in like two days. Mm-hmm. The outside of the volume is a perfect recreation of the first edition. So I was like, good job. They open the, the title cover, the title page, perfect recreation of the original title page. Good job. Then they open up to the text itself, like just pages of text. And it's clearly been written on a computer and printed from a computer. A font that is not possible in Victorian England and a clarity that's not possible from a printing press. And I went, you fuckers. Like, it's that thing of it extends to a certain point and then it just can't be bothered. It keeps trying to be a Christmas carol. It's like, no, just tell the fucking story and stop trying to be a new Christmas classic. Just do your own thing. Though I was reminded that a Christmas carol was published on my birthday. So that made me happy. I was like, oh, that's significant.
1: It's also a misnomer because Dickens didn't invent Christmas. Um, everyone knows that Coca-Cola did. Oh,
2: obviously. Definitely. Obviously. Well, you can find my full review at maketheswitch.com.au and the man who invented Christmas is in cinemas now.
0: Also today is Wonder. Jess caught this one in cinemas, but is it as wonderful as the title suggests?
1: Okay, I would just like to preface my following review by saying tissues, tissues. And more tissues. Okay, Augie is portrayed by Jacob Tremblay. He is a lovely 10-year-old boy who loves space and Star Wars, but due to a rare genetic mutation, he was born with severe facial deformities, which is why for the first time he's about to attend real school kids can be cruel but when you look like Augie cruel doesn't even begin to cover it as he's left to fend for himself for the first time the audience is also privy to the inner workings of the lives around him namely his older sister Via who while she loves her brother deeply can't help but feel neglected due to the constant attention he receives from their parents and Augie's best friend Jack who feels the pull of peer pressure and his inner conflict of genuinely wanting to be Augie's friend but feels guilty that he was forced into said friendship
0: I know I'm not an ordinary 10 year old I've had 27 surgeries. They've helped me to breathe, to see, to hear without a hearing aid, but none of them have made me
3: look ordinary.
0: The incubator, bunch of murders. oh, and this is an eraser. You know what an eraser is, right? Look at his face. never seen anything that ugly in my life. If I looked like him, I'd swear I'd put a hood over my face.
1: I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. You are not ugly, Augie. I say that because you're my mom. Because I'm your mom, it
3: counts the most because I know you the most.
1: Hi.
0: You don't have to do this. I don't know what you're talking about, Augie. You don't have to pretend is all I'm saying. Augie! Okay, I'm really sorry. Why are you sitting here then? Because I want some nice friends for a change. Me too. Who is it that I aspire to be? That is the question that we should be asking ourselves
1: all the time. For all the insights we're given, I couldn't help but feel that there were two glaring omissions, the first being Augie's mother, played by the stupendous Julia Roberts, and believe it or not, the family dog, Daisy. Trust me, it will make sense when you see the film, which I hope you do. Jacob Tremblay has proven here that his skills as a young actor were no fluke after his incandescent performance in 2015's Room. I just took issue with the way all the kids speak in Wonder. No 10-year-old I know have known, even when I was one, has ever been so eloquent and in touch with their own feelings as portrayed in this film. But if that's my biggest gripe, then we're sitting pretty. Wonder is a beautiful and truly inspiring film for the family. I make no secret when it comes to movies that I am a crier, and boy, did I shed a tear, or 20,000, here. Basically, from about ten minutes in, the tap was turned on, and I didn't stop until the end credits. You've been warned. Three and a half stars.
3: Emotional movies aren't really my my bag, and um, this isn't really <laughs> kind of my kind of mutant film. This is like sort of pretty benevolent mutation. Um, yes! But I was gonna say I, I do really, I did really enjoy the perks of being a wallflower, which was um, Stephen Chbosky's previous film. Uh, that movie was awesome. How would this stack up against his previous movie? <laughs>
1: I didn't actually like The Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> you can fuck that out then. You're fired. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't like it. I like the book a lot better. Um, mm. But I will, I will compare it to other films uh, of this nature, which in my opinion would be Mask, the Eric Stoltz film from the 80s, oh. and Jack with Robin Williams. And it's, this movie sits somewhere in between. Although... As much as it is, like, a weepy film, I promise you, you will cry, it's not that stereotypical weepy, schmaltzy, as Daniel said before, like, saccharges, ugh, just fucking shut up and stop feeling sorry for yourself Mm. films, which I found very, very, very refreshing. It does focus a lot on bullying and it's not one of those oh it's not on the outside it's what's on the inside that counts it is actually about actions and consequences and um you know how you treat another person affects you and everyone else and etc etc so in in that regard i think it's a like i said before it is a genuinely beautiful and inspiring film but yeah uh, comparing it to perks of being a wallflower i'm not willing to do that because yeah (laughs) I didn't like it. (laughs) And I did like Wanda.
0: Jess, you mentioned the stupendous Julia Roberts in there, but you seem to have failed to have mentioned the stupendous Owen Wilson.
1: Yes, he is. I will tell you this. He is grossly underused in this film. He comes in, he kind of comes in, says some of the most hilarious things in the film, and then buggers off. And then he comes back like half an hour later, and you're like, why? Why aren't you in this movie more? He's so funny and charming in this film as Augie's dad. But, yeah, like I said, the focus of the film is the kids and Julie Roberts has a big part in it as well. But, unfortunately, Owen Wilson just kind of flits in and out as this sort of, like, funny last-minute saviour of each scene just to sort of pull it out of this sort of, like, gut-wrenching emotion. He is great. He is, like, one of the best parts of the film, but he's just so underused and it's actually quite heartbreaking. It's kind of
3: funky. Like, the more I think about it, sorry, just, you know, Please just ignore the fact that I just like laid into weepies um, or you know, emotional <laughs> movies two seconds ago. But um,
0: children with disabilities and, and,
3: and mutations. Um, but uh, the, uh, Gifted, that movie Gifted, um, which came out not too long ago with Chris Evans, is also like a weepy and also like really well written and executed. It kind of sounds like a similar thing here. So I don't know, like like weepies aren't really my thing, but it kind of seems like they're getting more sophisticated now or something or better or...
1: Yeah, these aren't all sad tears. A lot of them are actually quite happy, happy yeah. tears.
2: How, how affected were you by Perks of Being a Wallflower, Jake?
3: To be honest, a little bit. Um, I wasn't crying, but, you know, I, I guess I like sort of could relate to it on some sort of high school level to a degree and yeah no I actually thought I was like surprised I was like sort of watching over someone's shoulder at the time but um yeah I found myself getting really sucked into that movie so um even though like Wonder uh isn't really my bag I'd probably be keen to give it a squeeze just because I really like the
0: director and the co-writer. Jess is right though read the book of Perks of Being a Wallflower it's um it is superior. Hmm.
1: Wonder is in cinemas now don't forget the tissues and check out my full review at maketheswitch.com.au
0: also in cinemas today is shock caller jake answered the call and checked this one out but does this crime flick deserve to be placed in solitary Nikolai costa Wilder plays jacob harlan a clean-cut father
3: husband and stockbroker who lands in jail after a drunk driving conviction when he's released 10 years and many many shankings later jacob's a hardened criminal called money covered with the tattoos a white supremacist gang member trained to kill by the primal prison system Money is trapped in a life of crime with a new set of moral values.
0: Look, man, I know you're scared. But you need to know this. You'll be with the big boys. So you gotta stand up for yourself. Because once you're marked in there,
3: Move!
1: it will never end. <laughs> I'm
3: not looking for trouble. The fact is.
2: Place like this forces us to become warriors or victims.
3: The only thing that matters is you getting home to your family in one piece.
1: Nobody's touching my family.
3: Due to his iconic role of Jamie Lannister on the TV series Game of Thrones, and his best roles being in foreign language films like Nightwatch, Headhunters, and A Thousand Times Goodnight it's easy to forget how versatile Danny Schachter-Costa Wilder is. He receives strong support from a cast that includes Lake Bell, John Bernthal, Omri Hardwick and Benjamin Pratt, with stand-up performances from Hulk McCallie, Emery Cohen and Jeffrey Donovan. Writer-director Rick Romanwell researched Shock Collar while working undercover with Californian parole officers, learning the ins and outs of prison culture and gang rules. The result is a film that never fails to involve the viewer in the choices a regular man must make and his acceptance of a fate beyond his control. As a character says, once a dude gets institutionalized, anything is possible. Shot Caller never reaches the peaks of modern classic prison films like A Prophet, Ghosts of the Civil Dead, or Start Up. As a film about American white supremacist gangs, it's no American History X, The Believer, or Imperium either. However, it is still a tense, terrifying, stabby look at the US prison system, and a great showcase for Nicolai Costa Wildo's acting talent. Three stars. You can find my full review at maketheswitch.com.au, and Shot Caller is in cinemas now.
1: The Star is also in cinemas today. This animation tells the story of a small but brave donkey named Bo. Leaving everything he knows behind, he departs his small village to embark on a once in a lifetime adventure. He meets a lost sheep named Ruth, Dave the Dove, and three wise Kraken camels. And these oddball animals become accidental heroes in the story of the first Christmas. King Herod is up to something. That's what
0: You're in danger. You need to listen to what I'm about to say extremely carefully.
1: Do you want a belly rub?
0: A star. You create a distraction. Hmm?
1: There's something seriously wrong with those animals.
0: I
2: don't recall any of these figures uh, featuring highly (laughs) in the Gospels. Um, so <laughs> the fact that they're regarded in the um, IMDb page, the, uh, the synopsis calls them the unsung heroes of the first Christmas. They're very unsung.
1: I don't know, I didn't realise that the Christmas story needed heroes. Who who? I kind of saving? feel like
2: the mother who prevents her Apparently, child Jesus from being massacred is kind of maybe the hero in that story. <laughs> but I mean, that is a woman, Perhaps. so
0: obviously we can't celebrate her. The whole thing just sounds pointless. And let's not forget the uh, the traditional uh, Christmas carols of Mariah Carey will be <laughs> yeah, featured. Thinking, like, I look at the cast and
2: film. I go, why are you. I mean, this film doesn't strike me as being a particularly religious film, so I don't quite know what its purpose is. I
1: don't know. Spoon feeding kids the story of Christmas, they don't sit there and ask how a virgin got pregnant, who is God, are angels real, can I have a donkey, um, what the hell's a manger? <laughs> Um, whatever happened to Jesus.
2: If I want to watch gags about the birth of Christ, I'll watch Life of Brian. That's the end. Like, there's not really anywhere to go after that film in any capacity. It's just perfect. I'm
3: just looking at the cast list. It's like, um, Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, Kelly Clarkson, um, pretty appealing stuff. And then you've got Chris Christopherson in there as old donkey. Christopher Plummer. Is King Herod. It's like a bunch of people that were just like had an afternoon off and
2: they were like, hey, you want to come be in a film? Like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Like, why not? So what's this one about? Just read these lines into my iPhone.
3: Yeah, I didn't realise that sort of Kelly Clarkson shared an audience with Chris Christopherson. That's kind of nice to know because I like Chris Christopherson. um...
2: Wait,
1: and you don't like Kelly Clarkson?
3: It's also the second
2: film this week featuring uh, Christopher Plummer. Let's not forget that. Yeah, Christopher Plummer is King Herod. He's clearly very big on Christmas films. Being a cantankerous person in a Christmas film that wants children to die. That's his thing this week.
1: <laughs> I'd just like to point out the calibre of an actor in a children's animation doesn't mean anything these days after Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart was in the Emoji movie playing Poop.
2: I think he just does that
3: to piss people off.
1: He <laughs> ruined it for everyone.
3: <laughs> He's trolling us. He's just perennially trolling us. You can also find Sweet Virginia in cinemas today. John Burnfall plays Sam, a former radio champ turned motel owner living in a small town. He befriends Elwood, played by Christopher Abbott, unaware the man is responsible for a spate of violence sweeping through his little Alaskan town. If
2: I don't get the money that I'm owed. I
1: haven't really been sleeping much lately. Yeah.
3: I close my eyes, I have a nightmare. Things like this, we just... Just gotta let them pass through wait it out.
2: Where's my money?
0: I can get it! I can get it! I can get it!
3: This part neo-noir, part thriller, part modern western also stars Imogen Poots and Rosemary DeWitt and was written by brothers Paul and Benjamin China. with a screenplay that was high in the esteem Blacklist
0: back in 2012. Finally, National Theatre Life's production of Peter Pan is in cinemas from this Saturday. Daniel took this trip to Neverland, so did it set your spirits soaring.
2: In collaboration with the National Theatre, Devise based theatre makers The Companies reinvent J.M. Barry's masterpiece Peter Pan with a dazzling mix of puppetry, acrobatics, music, and theatrical spectacle. The aim to craft something thrilling for both young and old alike.
1: What's your name? Wendy Moira Angela Darling. What's yours? Peter Pan.
0: down, oh, nice. <laughs> Ready? Ready, second to the right and straight on till morning.
2: For the most part, it succeeds. The theatrical invention of the production is wonderful, especially because it doesn’t try to hide any of the tricks. The acrobatic work is great with actors leaping and flying across the stage and some wonderful character interpretations, including a delicious female Captain Hook played by Anna Francolini. As with a lot of device work though, it tends to overstay its welcome at countless moments and three hours could easily have lost an hour to make its length more manageable. It's also one of the least successful NT Live presentations with too much on stage for the camera to capture and too big a cast to mic effectively, making it orally underwhelming. Still a lot of fun though and a reminder of how magical a work Peter Pan is. Three stars from me.
1: Captain Hook being played by a woman. I know traditionally that Peter Pan is played by a woman, and for modern audiences, a couple of years ago they sort of maybe first got a taste of this um, when a live TV production saw Girls and Get Out star Allison Williams portray Peter Pan, but now it's they're going with Captain Hook.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of really lovely cheeky subversion in um, the company's production of of, of Peter Pan because one of the things that Captain Hook always is remembered for as a character is his feminine qualities so it's interesting Mm -hmm. seeing a character that we associate with being a bit of a fop played by a woman where all of a sudden there was a sense of threat that i've never seen in a hook before like you genuinely felt a sense of fear and danger whenever she walked on stage but the cross casting actually goes through quite a bit of the show peter Mm -hmm. is played by a man and wendy's played by a woman but tinkerbell is played by a man wearing this ridiculous head thing covered in fairy lights and speaks in its kind of own pigeon language So it's this little dumpy man with this wonderful pigeon language that no one can understand. The moment, my favourite moment in the whole whole production was when Nana comes out, the dog that takes care of the darling children. And they're calling Nana to come in and this actor of colour walks out in a maid's outfit, this man, and just goes, What do you want? And talks to them like he's actually a nanny, but they're talking to him like it's a dog. It's slightly problematic because essentially you're having an an actor of colour playing a nurse, which in itself is kind of an uncomfortable point. But the effect, I think, is, is to subvert it for kids so that they get to laugh at the changes and the surprises in the casting. The most problematic thing about Peter Pan is Tiger Lily and the Indians because obviously we're dealing with earlier 20th century racism but what they do is transform the Indians into wolves so it's that Tiger Lily is a young woman living with wolves so instead she is in charge of a wolf pack which is actually quite a lovely change. The problem is that it's just too long and by the end of it you're just kind of exhausted and just want it to end no matter how funny and charming it is. Shame. National Theatre Live's Peter Pan is in cinemas on Saturday and check out my full review at maketheswitch.com.au
0: Alright, now let's check out the upcoming films in our trailer wrap. Here's Smallfoot. The world is a mysterious place.
2: There are marvels of nature just waiting to be discovered by those who are daring enough to look. Marvels like the creature I had only heard existed in legend. A mythical monster straight out of your worst nightmares with wild eyes. And a hideous face and feet
0: that were amazingly, freakishly, small.
1: Ooh. I think this looks adorable. And obviously such a very <laughs> cute spin on the Bigfoot tale. Looking at the cast list, God, this is yet another animated film for James Corden.
0: Ugh.
1: Yeah, he is Peter Pan in the Upper you Peter, mean Pan. Peter, uh, Peter Pan. Oh my God. He is Peter Rabbit <laughs> in the upcoming Peter Rabbit film. Ugh. He was in Trolls. He's now going to be in Smallfoot. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a scheduling thing because he does this show like five nights a week and his carpool karaoke. He's got no time to step in front of a, another camera. He just goes into a sound booth, probably on the same lot as his Why do you need
2: time when you have so little talent? Like, you're not trying. So... <gasps>
1: no, I love James Corden. Oh, no.
2: James Corden is fucking annoying. Every time he comes on screen. No, or I do.
1: I think he's so cute and I loved Gavin and Stacey and I think he was a very talented writer and um no, I think he's adorable. This
2: this film does look quite cute though, and I did appreciate that it was a trailer for a kid's film where no one farted and no pop songs were played and there wasn't anything offensive. Which is quite a Yet. surprise. Time.
1: Give it Yet time. That we know of.
2: I mean we had to suffer through watching <laughs> the Sherlock Gnomes trailer a few weeks ago. <laughs> Project, uh, event of which I have never recovered from because it was so traumatic. So it was nice. It was. I. I. Yeah. I agree.
3: I think this looks cute. I would. I would go and see this. As would I. I would not go and see this. <laughs> I don't know. Like sort of number one uh, dislike for James Corden, and um, I think Shunning Tatum is like the voice of Bigfoot, and um, he did the, uh, some voices in uh, for the Lego movie.
1: Was it Lego Batman? He was Superman, wasn't Superman it? Was, he? Superman, was, yeah. He was
3: yeah. Superman, yeah. Um, I just find Shunning uh, Tatum's attitude towards voice work pretty relaxed. So, I don't know. It kind of irritates me a kind little bit. like
1: his attitude towards any of his other acting endeavors. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you got to admit, he's a very casual guy. Like, he's lovable. Mm. And, like, he he does make some really great films. But he's just, he's a very laid back, like, very casual actor.
0: He's <laughs> clearly not expecting to be winning an Oscar
2: anytime soon, though. no. <laughs> But I mean, that's a good point Jake makes. I mean, there is a very kind of casualness to the way that we'll approach voice work in animated films now, which is just such a disappointment when, like, you know, this week is the 25th anniversary. I think it's the 25th anniversary of the release of Aladdin, which has one of the greatest performances in an animated film ever. And, you know, knowing how much effort and artistry Go has gone into so many performances in animated films... Now it just simply like just throw any fucking idiot in there.
1: In the last 25 years the nature of animated films has changed. We used to have voice actors like Robin Williams mm. being in Aladdin was actually a rarity and was um was against the mm, curve. That's and true. then now it's nothing but famous names. It's just
3: like famous people shouting into the mic now. You know, like you see Robin Williams, you actually see the behind the scenes of Robin Williams doing his um, performances um, as Genie in Aladdin. And it's just, like fucking amazing. Like the guy is a freak. And you see behind the scenes of like people doing voice work for animated movies now. And um, it's largely just like famous people shouting into the mic. <laughs> and now we have to li- live
2: through the experience of hearing Johnny Depp say the word mankini. <laughs> which, I don't know, that, that's the horror of 2017 in cinema for me.
1: That's what you're taking away from this entire year?
0: It's one thing I'm trying not to take away from this entire year. (laughs) Well, you can catch Smallfoot in Australian cinemas from the 13th of September, 2018. And to check out those trailers and more, head to youtube.com forward slash make the switch AU.
1: Australia is known for many achievements and some not so known achievements. The funniest being we possess the biggest fandom of The Room thanks to constant sellout monthly screenings at independent cinemas for the last five years. Yes, Australia, we should be proud. This got me thinking though, if the worst movie ever made can in fact be beloved by millions, then what other terrible gems are we secretly or not so secretly loving? I'm going to start us off. I, <laughs> I make no secret of the fact that I love, love to my very core, Paulie Shaw and everything that he has ever done. The top three being Encino Man, Son in Law, and Biodome. Oh. Son in Law being my personal favorite. Yeah, Biodome. I think, and he plays. The same character in every movie. He is a buffoon to the nth degree. I've seen him perform stand-up live. I've seen him do practically anything and I love him. I think he is hilarious and I think he actually makes really, really, really enjoyable movies. Paulie Shaw, if you're out there and you're listening, I love you.
2: You are such a child of (laughs) the 90s.
1: (laughs) Yes, I am and proudly so. I wear my badge. I don't think anybody
2: born after 1989 has ever heard of Biodome. I mean... (laughs) Maybe for the best.
1: Shame on them. All right, well, then, Daniel, pipe up. What's your secret shame?
2: Well, I mean, I've got lots of films that I love that everybody else hates, but it's because I think they're genuinely great films. But um, there's two that I can think of that I know are terrible and I still kind of love them. One is nostalgia-based and one is just because I think it's great. Um, The one that's just because I think it's great is... um, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters.
1: Oh, no. I
2: remember Brent, the... Gretel, is sent, that you?
1: Are you pretending to be Daniel? I got
2: sent a review <laughs> copy of <laughs> years ago, and I put it in expecting to have a terrible time, and I stopped it about five minutes in, ran into the other rooms where my housemate was, and I screamed, get in here now. You need to watch this.
1: Oh, my God. It was the
2: opening sequence where the witch... Is, you know, kidnapped Hansel and Gretel. And then Hansel and Gretel push the witch into the oven. And then Gretel looks into the oven and goes, hot enough now for you, bitch. And I (laughs) fucking lost it. It is so stupid. It is a stupid film. It is ridiculous Dude, in every way. Even fucking Jensen bad. came
1: out and said she did it strictly for the paycheck. Like, she made no qualms. But the but
2: they had such a great time that they want to do another one. And you can tell that both Jeremy Renner and, and Gemma Arterton are having a fucking fabulous time. I mean, the best moment is when you realise that Hansel has um, diabetes and they have, like, medieval insulin and give him insulin <laughs> shots. And I was just screaming, what is this oh. film? I'm in love. Like, it's fucking awful, but I love it so much. Um, The other one, which is purely nostalgia based, um, and it was pretty horrible when I was an adult and rewatched it and realised how bad it actually is, but I still kind of love it, and that's Hook. Like, (gasps) I love Hook. Hook. Like, I love it too, but it's half an hour of a great film. And the audiences
1: did, not it's so good.
2: It's half an hour of a great film, and then the minute the Lost Boys turn up, the entire thing goes down the toilet. But it kind of. It, like, you know, Dustin Hoffman is so good and Robin Williams is so great and the production design is great and the score is wonderful. But, I mean, like, Julie Roberts, what is she fucking doing? And I, when Rufio <laughs> died, even as a five-year-old when Rufio died, I went, good. Because I fucking hated him. <laughs> Rufio, it's just, Rufio. it's a mess. It's an absolute fucking mess. Like, it's too long. It The story so makes good. no sense. It's not so one of Spielberg's good. best films, but I just love it. It's just so silly. So good. So, yeah.
1: So good. Charlie, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to skip Jake just for now because I feel that every every movie he's going to say, he's already said at the end of every episode we do, <laughs> <laughs> um, the last like 21 episodes. Jesus so, Charlie, Christ. what's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Jake. Friends uh,
2: listening to this in Budapest or something
0: going, thank God I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know it would have been um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen anyway, so we can just put that in now.
1: <laughs> oh, that boy will defend that movie to the ground.
0: I know, irrationally. My my two choices are, I have a really cheesy one like Daniel and one that is nostalgic. My, my super cheesy one is... Um, anything from the Sharknado series um, because it's is—it's like one of those things which is just so bad that it's good.
1: Does this mean we can blame you for the fact that there's five of them?
0: Uh, Absolutely. I am the sole person watching them now, so (laughs) it's clearly just me. No, there's shitloads of people around the world who are fascinated by this fucking terrible terrible series but it's just the so the first one that is it's good. quite a it's, marvel
2: it's like it's quite it's a monument that one needs to stand before
0: yeah and to be honest like the middle like three and four got a bit boring but five is five is kind of back back on par so uh, it's 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 coming full circle it's okay <laughs> <laughs> And one from a nostalgia point, which I um, I really love is, and this has been purely because of my childhood and going to see this at the cinema with my friends, is Deep Blue Sea. It is such a bad it's just film. like shark it's, movies. Honestly. I bad shark,
1: yeah, movies. Cannot, shark movies. I cannot. the shark movies.
0: Hey, that's true. I didn't even realize. <laughs> may, or maybe it's because there are very few good shark movies. I mean, Jaws may be the one exception. But, maybe um, an exception? Oh, actually, I'm going to Mm -hmm. maybe Maybe. jaws one anyway no the and the other animal film that i'm gonna throw in there and it is total trash as well is piranha that's also probably like roughly (laughs) the same the same era also, deadly animals. So, yeah.
3: I was just thinking about how good Piranha okay. was just then. I was, I was, I was actually considering saying Piranha myself. I'm just like, no, that's <laughs> actually a good movie. I'm not, even, I'm going to try and smear Piranha's name.
1: All right, Jake, it is your turn now. All uh, right, Jake. Uh, I'm 95% sure I will probably have never heard of the mo- movies you're about to mention, but take it away.
3: No, um. So, uh, I'm the wrong person to ask this question to because I like a lot of stuff. Um, it doesn't really have to be a cinematic achievement. It, all it has to do is like entertain me on some level. So this is a really hard question to, to answer because um, for me, that this is like a really broad category. So I'm just going to narrow it down to Paul W.S. Anderson's work um, and pick out. Oh yeah. Uh, How will you pick from three that? movies. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Mortal Kombat, the first Mortal Kombat movie, pretty fun movie. Uh, massive rip off of um, Enter the Dragon. Uh, really catchy theme song. Uh, some fairly good special effects for the time uh, The second one would be uh, Also by Paul DeBruyne Uh The second one is the remake of Death Race With Jason Statham That movie is just insanely uh, entertaining You know, as like any movie with Jason Statham in it The acting is non-existent pretty much um, Does but, he take his shirt off? Um, no, he doesn't actually He doesn't even, really, um, even do much uh, Kung Fu in this movie He just kind of walks around and, um, and gives a stone face And, um, and drives a car And... Um, and splats people but uh yeah super entertaining and um the third one is a movie that paul W. S. anderson didn't actually direct but he produced it. Um, it's a video game movie called DOA Dead or Alive. Oh, I have a friend who says that's
2: the greatest film ever made. <laughs> like he's been trying to make me watch yeah. it for years and I, re- I openly refuse.
3: I think I've, I've still got it on DVD. For, uh, I bought a second-hand copy from Blockbuster um, years ago. I think I still have the DVD around here um, somewhere. So if you're not familiar, um, DOA Dead or Alive uh, was a computer game. It was a ripoff of Virtual Fighter or Tekken and um the only real distinctive feature of doa was the fact uh it had like breast physics so the female characters were really bosomy and um the the, <laughs> the, the breast bounced around basically and you get them to you sort of like there's like um you know some code you could put in which would you know you could let them pl- you could make them play like um volleyball and shit anyway um they made a movie out of it as you as you do with um a director called Corey. uen
0: the volleyball scenes
3: and, uh yes actually including the volleyball scenes of course <laughs> and um uh, the director's Corey oh, Yuan, who's like um, a really famous mm-hmm. um, Hong Kong uh, action film director, so pretty overqualified for this movie. Yeah, the cast was like Holly Valance, oh, Jimmy Presley, Eric Roberts. Um, he was the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the movie is just uh, it's because Corey Yuen's doing it. it uh, the movie has really, really good fight scenes, like unusually good. Um, all the actors, the, the, you know, obviously they're all hot chicks, but they're all also uh, doing leather and stunts, so it looks really cool. And, um, you know, it has Eric Roberts with, um, super powered sunglasses, which he uses at the end to fight everybody. Uh, so that is also a, um, extra star. Those are my three. Those are my, I had to, okay. I narrow it down from like a massive field to those, those, uh, the core three, those would probably be it.
0: From every film he's ever watched to
3: <laughs> four, three. Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, guys, we are giving you our pick, so I now encourage any and all listeners out there to please jump on social media and give us your picks for your favourite bad movies that you just love.
0: We won't watch them, but we'll judge you. <laughs>
1: we'll judge you so bad. <laughs> just as you have done over this past segment.
0: Well, on to something different now. And have you ever been to a movie and felt like it's just dragged on forever? Particularly with Hollywood blockbusters over the past few years, there's been a misguided notion that people want to go to the movies for a long time, not a good time, with many movies pushing the three-hour mark. But there's been a recent effort to rein in those exorbitant times. However, does a tight film make a good film? I don't think it makes any
3: difference. I don't think the, the running time of a movie makes a movie any better or worse. It's, you know, who's making the movie and the people involved. You, know, you can look at a movie like the original Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, uh, which ran for 117 minutes, and compare it to Blade Runner 2049 by um, Dennis Villeneuve, which runs for 163 minutes. Both awesome movies, and one is like, considerably longer than the other. But then you look at sort of, uh, you know, other blockbuster movies that are quite long, like you know, the Lord of the Rings movies, like, which are just... You back off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and and awesome. Like I, I you, really I love the Rings We have five movies.
2: Transformers films, and you choose to use the Lord of the Rings as your example.
3: Yeah, man. Like as as an example of like good long blockbuster filmmaking. Um, okay, it, so it can be done. Not, they
1: walk for like twelve hours.
3: <laughs> oh, they do more than <laughs> oh my walk. Oh they, 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 they talk and stuff as well. Discussion.
1: Oh, they talk and walk. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a great way to spend one hundred and twenty-seven hours. <laughs>
3: You know Avatar, which is actually quite a good movie. I know it's like sort of trendy to shit on Avatar now. Avatar, long movie, also pretty good. The Godfather movies, mm. all around about three hours in length. You know the Dark Knight trilogy, Christopher Nolan's superhero movies, Dark Knight trilogy. Those movies are kind of you know approaching three hours as well. So you can do
0: like really um, good long movies. I think it's good that you mentioned Christopher Nolan's uh, films though, because. I think that he has a lot to answer for from the superhero genre. And I think that's a reason that a lot of these movies are, and I'm going to say unnecessarily being made excessively long um, mm. because he actually had a lot of great material to work with and and they put a lot of work into, into those films. And the current slew of superhero films just doesn't quite live up to that when you're dealing with like a very mundane character for three hours it gets a bit dull i'm all for cutting down as far as blockbuster films go i'm all for keeping them tight not not short.
2: yeah i mean the dark knight trilogy i mean probably the strongest out of all three objectively the strongest out of all three is probably the first one because it doesn't go for two and a half hours there is like Mm -hmm. as much as i love the dark knight he could lose 15 minutes and the Rises could definitely lose. I mean, I think it just its it comes down to that thing of a film should be as long as it needs to be. Does the Lord of the Rings need to be, each Lord of the Rings chapter need to be three hours to do what it needs to do? Yes. No. Yes, it does. With the Hobbit <laughs> films, do they need to be three hours to do what they need to do? No, they don't. They didn't need mm-hmm. to be. There exactly. is a sense of, yes, maybe some studios believing that, you know, some filmmakers believing that the longer a film is, the more bang for your buck kind of thing you get.
3: Mm. It's like a, like trying to overcome like ticket pricing and stuff.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, in the yeah. continuing mm. debate about how it is that Blade Runner twenty forty nine failed, another thing that people have thrown up is that it's too long and that people were put off by the length, which is entirely possible. But I mean. One of my bugbears with people complaining about the length of films is you don't know whether a film justifies its length until you see it. So, for example, when Justice League announced it was going to be two hours long, a lot of people went, oh, this is problematic because the film might not be very... How can it do in two hours? I mean, it was problematic, but its runtime wasn't mm-hmm. the problem. But I remember going to a review screening years ago and one of the reviewers asked another reviewer, How long is this film? I mean, it was for Snowpiercer, which I was very excited to see. And they said, oh, it goes for 128 minutes or something. He went, oh, over two hours, loses a star. And I was like, that's an odd thing to say. And they kept Mm. talking. And this reviewer said, there is only one film in history that justifies being over two hours long. And that's The Godfather. And I sat there and went, no, I think there's a lot of films in existence that justify being that long. A lot of the greatest films ever made justify being that long. And dismissing a film based purely on its length, I find quite a problematic way to approach films. But also just defining a film by its length. I don't know. It would be nicer if, if Transformers films didn't go for four and a half hours.
3: I think those Transformers films are giving like long films a bad rap as well. Like we're kind of almost yeah. at the stage now where to a degree we associate long running times with like a shitty movie and it's just like fuck man don't want to be trapped in a shitty movie for like three and a half hours and whatever because of these Transformers movies and because of the fact that they're just like fuck like okay, we're going to give you know, our audience more you know bang for the buck uh, by throwing in like an extra hour of Mark Warburg mm. or whatever. I don't mind either. I I don't mind sort of either a short film or or a long film, but um, it definitely does come down to, you know, the content and who's making it and um, the intention behind it. Well,
0: here's a question for you guys. What is the worst sin? Is it uh, a movie that overstays its welcome, something that is just drags on too long, or is it something that is rushed and doesn't spend enough time on on developing itself? Oh, that's a tough one.
2: I think overstay is more of a problem because you get bored, at least with a Mm. film that rushes things, There can be things in them that you can still appreciate and really like. Dunkirk, for example, it left me wanting more, which was exactly what it should have done. But The Dark Knight Rises, you've overstayed your welcome by like half an hour. I, I, I... checked out a while ago. So, I personally, I think it's, yeah, overstaying welcome. Yeah.
1: I'd rather a film overstay its welcome than be too short because if a film isn't developed enough, then it's almost like an overly long trailer and you walk out going, oh, it could have been so good if it had just you know, given this person a longer backstory or if we'd found, or if they'd answered this question or if this scene went a little bit longer or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it, you just end up feeling disappointed as opposed to that was really good, but I just wish it had cut 15 minutes of it or I felt this scene was unnecessary. You're still getting a good movie in there somewhere.
3: But doesn't it risk the possibility of being bored? Yeah. I hate the feeling where it's like you're watching the movie and you think to yourself, okay, this is the end now okay this is the end and you're sort of you're just like okay i'm ready for the end to happen and
0: it doesn't happen like because the movie is like still going oh um, multiple force endings that is really really cool. yeah and actually that's one of the things i will say about the whole lord of the rings trilogy i think it had too many endings at the end yeah mm. but it worked pretty
3: hard to build up that goodwill for that uh super long kind of ending uh, yeah i can forgive it that's for
1: sure We have some great giveaways up for grabs this week. First up, we have five copies of Girls Trip on Blu-ray. When four lifelong friends, played by Regina Hall, Tiffany Haddish, Jada Pinkett-Smith and Queen Latifah, reunite for a trip to New Orleans, sisterhoods are rekindled, wild sides are rediscovered, and there's enough dancing, drinking, brawling and romancing to make the big easy blush.
2: We're also giving away five copies of The Dark Tower on Blu-ray. 11-year-old Jake Chambers experiences strange and confusing prophetic visions of a gunslinger seeking to stop a man in black from destroying a tower and bringing ruin to the world. Yet he is dismissed by all around him. When Jake discovers the world is real, he must fight alongside the gunslinger and stop the man in black from destroying the tower.
3: We're also giving you the chance to win one of five copies of The Lost City of Zed. Based on the true story of British explorer Percy Fawcett, we follow the adventurer on dangerous expeditions into the Amazon as he searches for a lost civilization that
0: will change everything that science knows about human evolution. We also have five copies of Conor McGregor Notorious up for grabs. Following the biggest star in the history of mixed martial arts for four years, this documentary is an exclusive all access account of Conor's rise to fame. It's an unprecedented glimpse into the public and private life of a man considered a hero by many fans across the globe.
1: The Secret Scripture is heading to cinemas, and we're giving you the chance to win one of ten double passes. Lady Rose is an elderly woman who has lived in a hospital for over 50 years. Dr. Green is drawn to her, compelled to discover her past and help her gain her freedom. Through Lady Rose's scripture, a life of extraordinary love and great injustice emerges, revealing a remarkable young woman of courage
2: and woody allen's wonder wheel is also set to hit cinemas so we're giving you the chance to win one of five double passes set at coney island in the 1950s four lives intertwine in this tale of passion and betrayal there's ginny played by kate winslet an emotionally volatile former actress now working as a waitress humpty jim delushi ginny's rough-hewn carousel operator husband Mikey, Justin Timberlake, a handsome young lifeguard, and Carolina, Juno Temple, Humpty's long estranged daughter who is hiding out from gangsters in her father's apartment. For your chance to win this and all our
0: prizes, head to maketheswitch.com.au forward slash comps now. And before we go, we'd like to offer you some cinematic inspiration, with each of us suggesting one film that you should see this week and why. For me, I have been on a bit of an animation binge this week. Uh, I've seen a couple of really great films. I've seen a couple of really awful films, but one I revisited that I love eternally and it's just, it is such a beautiful film is How to Train Your Dragon. Yes. Honestly, this is one of the better DreamWorks animations. I got to say that it's very much a standout in their stable. It's this fantastic story of a young Viking who lives in this town which is inundated by dragons and they're all preconditioned to fight them off basically and he manages to knock one of the most deadly and mysterious dragons out of the sky and ends up befriending it and they develop this very lovely relationship and they change the way that the town sees all these dragons it's got a really great voice cast it is probably one of the few things that i will say gerard butler is actually good in (laughs) um and that is saying a lot, but also it's just really beautiful animation. Like Toothless is probably one of the most amazing animated characters ever. I want this dragon so much. <laughs> I wanted you would every
1: other kid that saw that movie. I know, right? And adult. Myself included. And
0: the fantastic thing is How to Train Your Dragon 2 is equally as impressive. So I can't wait for the third one, which is still a couple of years off now. It kind of keeps getting pushed back. <laughs> so for me, this week, I suggest you go see How to Train Your Dragon. Jess, what do you have to suggest for us this week?
1: <laughs> okay, I've got a little story behind this. So last month, I took a friend of mine to the movies to go see the fabulous The Mountain Between Us. <laughs> Jeez, you might want to go back a couple of episodes to hear our thoughts on that. And before the movie, I... I don't I can't remember what the context was, but I ended up quoting The Karate Kid. And this guy looked at me. I admit that he's young, but I still find this no excuse. And he looked at me as if I had a unicorn horn growing out of my head. He had no idea what the hell I was talking about, and I'm like, "You've seen The Karate Kid, right?" And he said, "No." He hadn't even yeah. seen the stupid remake with like Will Smith's kid in it and Jackie Chan. And I was Horrified! I mean, what the hell are they teaching the youth of Australia in schools today if they haven't seen The Karate Kid from 1984? It came out the year I was born, which means when it came out, I was not old enough to see it, but I have still seen it many, many, many times. It has three sequels. Three, the last being the next Karate Kid, which stars two-time Academy Award winner Hilary Swank. They're all glorious, but I'm going to focus on the first one right now. So it's about Daniel LaRusso, and he moves to a new town, and he befriends an old Asian man called Mr. Miyagi who teaches him karate in order to defend himself and learn, you know, like courage and all that other crap. And it's fantastic. It's, you know, if you've ever heard throughout your life the whole wax on, wax off thing, paint the fence up and down, the crane, sweep the leg, you know, finish him, yada, yada, yada. This is the movie where it all came from. It is one of the defining 80s movies. It's amazing. Yes, it bore a terrible remake a couple years ago, but just ignore that one. We want the original, which doesn't actually feature karate at all, but you want the original 1984 Karate Kid. God, if you have not seen this, I just just (laughs) want to wring your stupid little necks. Yes, it is a classic, and I encourage everyone to go see 1984 The Karate Kid. Go.
0: Okay, so you better go see The Karate Kid or Jess will karate chop you. Damn straight. Daniel, what are you recommending this week? I'm recommending Pier Paolo Pasolini's
2: 1964 neorealist film, uh, The Gospel According to Matthew. That's all? That, that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 15
0: seconds. That was 15 seconds.
1: Okay, short and sweet. Cool. Last game's a good game.
0: Okay, well, Jake, let's wrap it up. What have you got for us this week?
3: Um, well, I mentioned this before when I was talking about Shot Caller, but in 2001, uh, Ryan Gosling started a movie called The Believer, where he plays uh, a Jew who becomes a neo-Nazi. And um, it was based on a true story about a dude called uh, Dan Burroughs, who was a member of the uh, United Clans of America, and also somewhat of a Nazi who was revealed to be a Jew by the New York Times and committed, later committed suicide. The movie itself uh, is directed by a dude called Henry Bean. He's a very uh, strange character. Um, he never really made too many movies. And to be honest, I think it's one of Ryan Gosling's best movies. Um, if you're into Ryan Gosling, not, not many people are. Just a really uh, powerful, you know, lyrical, almost like poetic film as well anyway if you're like a Ryan Gosling completist or you actually enjoyed Shot Caller um, I recommend
0: checking out The Believer oh some very diverse suggestions there for you this week something for everybody and you can find the links to all the articles we've talked about on this week's podcast at maketheswitch.com.au please subscribe to Switchcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to rate us and stay in touch on Twitter I'm at charlie underscore david jess
1: at miss jess underscore switch
0: daniel at daniel Lamon. and Jake at Jake Chatty. Like it? Follow it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at MakeTheSwitchAU to stay up to date with all the latest reviews, news, trailers, and giveaways.
1: And you can find all the notes and links to everything we've discussed on this week's podcast, as well as other episodes, by visiting switchcast.com.au.
3: On next week's show, I'll have my review of the Japanese animation in this corner of
0: the world. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you all next week.